0: Father God, we do thank you for your direction. We thank you, Lord, for not just creating us, but giving us the opportunity to be recreated into a new creation through your Son, through his person and his work and his death and his resurrection. We thank you, Lord God, for also giving us direction in how to live this new life as a new creation in Christ. Lord, if there is anyone here this morning that does not know what it means to be a new creation, to receive the forgiveness and the grace and the relationship with you through Christ. I pray, Lord God, that you would make that clear to them this morning. Lord, I pray for the opportunity that we would have to lead them into a relationship with you. Lord, I just um, pray that you would bless this time in your word and just allow us to know you more clearly and to know how we can best worship you with our lives. And I pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. So here we are in Colossians 3:17. You guys are going to have this memorized by the time we're done with this small series here about relationships. And we're told in in whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And just a remembrance here of how we got to this point. If you remember, we came to an kind of an intersection point in the book of Colossians where we're both looking back at the Paul speaking against the false doctrine that had been t- taught around the Colossian church, and he looks ahead to how it is that we are to live in light of the truth of who we are in Christ. And this intersection point in the book of Colossians comes up in Colossians 3.1, and he says, If then you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you have received Christ as your Savior, and His death and resurrection has thus been applied to you, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above that are above, not on things that are on earth. What are those things that are above? It is this fact that for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so from this point... Out of our identity of who we are in Christ, Paul has been teaching us how do you live out of that? How, you, how do you grow out of that? And first he talked about what we need, what we should be getting rid of out of our house. If we've been raised with Christ, if we're setting our minds on things above, if we realize that we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God, he turns to the tear-out part of the remodel of our lives he says put to death therefore what is earthly in you and he starts to describe the stronghold of the flesh sexual immorality which is based on impurity which is based on passion which is based on evil desire which is based on a life of covetousness just looking at others thinking what can I get from that person what do they have that I need which is idolatry he says We're called to put to death the stronghold of the flesh. Then he turns the, the picture onto a stronghold of control. He says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And he's telling us to put away the stronghold of control. If we've been raised with Christ if we've set our minds on the fact that we are seated with Christ in God, we have died to ourselves, he says, now start tearing out what doesn't belong there. If you remember that we could describe living in a life of man-centered idolatry is like living life in front of a vending machine where we're taking what God has given us to glorify him with And we're giving it into the vending machine to try to find what we think we need from life. And we'll treat relationships this way. We'll treat our kids this way. Maybe if I just say the right thing. Maybe if I just threaten with the right thing. Maybe if I just take the right thing away from them, then they'll do what I want them to do. So we, we, tr- we can treat our spouses that way. We can treat our, our co-workers that way. We can treat our friends that way. A life of manipulating the person, taking what God has given us to glorify Him with, maybe our words, maybe our bodies, maybe our money, in order to get from that person or that thing what we think we need. And this is the, the same as the stronghold of control or the stronghold of the flesh. They were told, "If, if you realize that you have died with Christ and you're seated with him in God, get rid of these things." And so we looked at the fact of the, that repentance starts in the heart. It starts with recognizing, when I am living with myself on the throne, when I am living, serving myself, I treat everything like a vending machine. The behavior is a result of who we are serving in our hearts. A fruit problem is a root problem. And so what Paul is telling us when he says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. It means to reset who we are serving in our hearts. Who we desire to serve who we desire to make big in our lives. Not go from ourselves to serving Him. And and life, our relationships, our actions, our efforts, become what they're meant to be, an offering of worship to Him. Not in order to get something from life for it, but in order to lay it on His altar and let it be for His glory. Let it burn up for His praise. And so that's the God-centered worship picture of the altar that we're given throughout scriptures. Colossians 3.17 describes life worship with our relationships, with our money, with our time, with our possessions, with our hopes and our dreams. The false teachings that Paul was dealing with pointed people to rituals. It pointed people to some sort of secret knowledge, some sort of uh, mystical experience that they might be able to have in order to... what they were really doing was puffing themselves up. But really what they were being pointed to in these false teachings were just religion. And it had no ability to change their life, no ability to change their relationships, no ability to change who it was that they were in their daily lives. Paul is teaching that all of life should be a worshipful response to what God has done to us. Not in order to get something from Him. We've been blessed, as Ephesians tell us, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And now, living out a life of worship is just about living in gratitude with every action being offered up to him for his praise. Paul takes the power of the gospel into the everyday place of our lives, and he starts with husbands and wives. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. It's been said that marriage... Is like twirling a baton or using chopsticks. It looks really easy until you try it, and it is extremely hard if we don't understand the roles that we were made to live in, to thrive in. I was just talking with um, Rick about some bees that he got just before this, and and I was I'm and. Rick, I hope you don't mind me sharing this. I was just really impacted by this, that you can go and get a swarm of bees from a spot. And I'm like, didn't you get stung? And he said, no, because they don't bother you when they're swarming. Because I guess they're confused. Nobody knows what their job is. And somebody can walk up and just grab the limb off and throw them in a box they've got this stinger and nobody thinks to use it because everybody's like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and part of the challenge in this life, part, can you see the effort of our enemy to make homes full of believers in Christ powerless to do anything in this world because nobody knows what their job is. And that's why God graciously gives us roles to live in, to, to glorify him in. So we're looking again at, would you please pass the roles from Colossians three, eighteen and 19. Our homes are meant to be worship sanctuaries in everything that we do. They're the opportunity to worship God in everything that we do, in our everyday relationships. They're meant to be full of life worship to God, sacrifices of praise with the way that we treat each other. Our central idea here, as it was last week, is that God has designed roles of authority in a godly marriage. Marita, this is kind of a long quote from Wayne Grudem, but every bit of it I think is valuable. He says, as we grow in maturity in Christ, we will grow to delight and in, in and rejoice in the God-ordained and wisely created differences in roles within the human family. When we understand this biblical teaching, both men and women should be able to say in their hearts, this is what God has planned, and it is beautiful and right, and I rejoice in the way he has made me and the distinct role he has given me. And he goes on, this is eternal beauty and dignity and rightness in this differentiation in roles both within the Trinity and within the human family. With no sense of better or worse, with no sense of more important or less important, both men and women should be able to rejoice fully in the way that they have been made by God. That is God's plan. We looked last week at, the, at God's design for roles of authority in marriage. Uh, the husband has been given the responsibility of headship over his wife and over his family. This means he has the respons- he's, be, he's responsible to lead, to protect, and to provide for his wife and his children. Um, wives have been given the role of Completing their husband in his efforts, in his work. If you want to know the the five dollar word for this, it's called complementarianism. But I think it's it's a a complementarianism, and and it's it's an unfortunate word actually because it sounds like wives are complementing the work of their husband. It's intended to communicate that the wives are completing. The works of their husband, the efforts, the life, the the inadequacies of their husband. And just as we looked at last week, that it says, but for Adam, no suitable helper, completement was found. And so God created woman for him. We also looked at how husbands are called to an uncommon love. For their wives, and I wish we had phrased that first point this way, or that the point in the sermon—an uncommon love for their wives—because obviously, wives are called to love their husbands, but husbands are called to an uncommon love. They're they're called to one that is serving, self-sacrificing, and unconditional. And it's modeled after the love that Christ has shown for the church in giving himself up for them. In, a, in Whatever the cost, whatever the pain, whatever the sacrifice, that picture of Christ-like love is what husbands, we have been, that uncommon love is what we have been called to give for our wives. First Peter finishes this idea in this way. He says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. This idea of showing honor relates very well back to this idea that husbands are told, do not be harsh with them. I mean and showing them honor as a weaker vessel. If we decided everything in our homes by an arm wrestling competition, you know the husbands would basically get whatever they wanted all the time. And that's not the picture here of biblical headship. But I want you to see here when he says, when he describes them since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, this idea was revolutionary at that time the idea that husbands and wives are heirs together of the grace of god and of a future eternal dwelling with god in his presence that idea was revolutionary at that time the ideas at that time were that husbands were spiritually and and more valuable just as they were physically more strong and peter was painting a different picture of that at all, and completely she's your fellow heir you need to be bringing her along with you, in a sense, using your strength, using your abilities, using your headship to guide her, using it to protect her, to provide for her. D.A. Carson writes it this way He says, The ancient world classed women and slaves together as inferior beings. Christianity gave dignity to the status of both. And Peter stresses the spiritual equality of man and wife as heirs together. So this morning we're looking at the uncommon submission of godly wives. The uncommon submission of godly wives. Ephesians 5:21 tells us that all believers are called to submit to one another. And how that plays out in marriage? is really that we need to give our spouses, married people, the right to call foul. Husbands, our wives need to be able, we need to submit to when they call foul that we're not being loving. Wives, we need, we need, you need for us as husbands to give husbands the right to call foul when we feel like we're not able to lead when we feel like we're not being allowed to provide to protect and to lead the wife is called to an uncommon level of submission but no I want you to see the cultural shift here that Paul was calling for it's an uncommon level of submission to her husband not to men in general which was different from the day and age that Paul was writing in. So this uncommon level of submission is called only to her husband. This term submit is a term for military ranking. Okay? If you, if you see a, a colonel and a, and a captain and a lieutenant line up in ranking, th- this doesn't mean that the, that the lieutenant is less important than the captain. It's simply their place in that order in in Paul's day in, in, in the day of the Colossian church here writers, ethical writers of that day were calling for women to obey their husbands they were using terms of when he tells you to do something you do it almost like a slave relationship. And we talked last week that many of the writings from ethical writers of that day, when they would write instructions to husbands, it was how to keep your wife dominated in the relationship. This is very different than a simple military ranking of this is how the chain of command works in the marriage relationship as God created it to be. So scripture is quite liberating for that time period. Christ himself lived, lives in a chain of command as we looked at last week in 1 Corinthians 11.3 and is a part of this chain of command. He says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Speaking of God the Father. And we talked last week about the fact that Christ is no less important than God the Father. He's no less valuable than God the Father. He's one in essence with God the Father. But yet he has submitted himself under the headship of God the Father in the same way that wives are no less important, no less valuable. They are same in essence as their husbands. But the role of the chain of command that has been given is that of wives using an uncommon submission to their husbands. The wife is to follow her husband, to follow his his leading, to to, to receive his protection, his provision, and allow him to be her covering, her headship. So in your notes there there's kind of some fill in the blanks here is the wife is to be receptive to her husband's protection and provision to follow her husband's leadership and be a helper to him in following Christ the wife is to be receptive of her husband's protection and provision following her husband's leadership and be a helper to him in following Christ. We use many times in relationships like this of that of the person needing a covering. I I didn't understand this completely until I went up to work in my attic last night without a hat on. And one thing that's common for attics is little nails sticking out of the ceiling. If you wonder what's going on here... I didn't have a covering. Wives, this uncommon submission is to be a submission under a covering of love and protection and provision. But you're called to help in doing that. This is not a you know something that someone's supposed to be squeezed under this covering but it's a call to willingly submit to that and to help the husband lead the family and if we have this structure this chain of command of from Christ to the husband to the wife and to the family when there's an unsubmissiveness to that chain of command of of God's direction do you see how it affects the inability For the family to follow in Christ's direction. And I and I realize we're talking in in a lot of ways in ideal situations, but life is lived out in the unideal. Paul describes this as in a way that's fitting to the Lord. What this means is the term fitting means actions that are due to someone. It's not actions that are due to the husband. It's actions that are due to Christ in a way that is fitting in your service to Christ. He's worthy of it. We husbands are very seldom worthy of this. And if we took a poll here, nine out of ten would say, I don't want this job. You follow your husband in a way that is honoring to Christ, that is due to Christ, that is fitting to Christ, that he is worthy of. Just as a sports team has a captain, but the whole team has the same goal, if the team decides, I'm just not going to listen to the captain, it harms the goal of the team. Our mutual goal is glorifying God together as our families. Notice also wives are called... It's not a submit or else. It's a simple challenge of this is what is owed to Christ. Do this for Christ. Pray through Christ. How do I honor you? Christ, how do you desire for me to work this out? This This is a between me and Christ type thing, wives, of Lord, how do you want me to live this out? How does this look? What does this look like in our family? I can't give you specific husband has these jobs wife has these jobs it's not like that but in your relationship with Christ it's something to pray through to seek out to understand it's something to have godly counsel around you a godly woman to guide you through it couples to have a godly couple that you discuss this with this takes us back to Ephesians 5 where he says wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord that same idea It's not as to a king, meaning your husband is a king and when he acts as a king, submit to that king. It's all the time, Christ is Lord. And so the submission that you offer in the relationship with your husband, do it as if you are offering it to the Lord. You are offering it to the Lord. This is your act of worship to the Lord. Just as husbands, we are called to lead in honor of the Lord. We are called to seek out what is God's direction for our family? Where am I getting in the way? Where is my sin clogging this up? In worship of the Lord and the benefit is to my family. It's being led, wives, cared for, protected for God's glory. Not for the glory of our husbands, for God's glory, for our husbands, your husbands to say that more than once. Notice what Paul continues. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We get this idea that this relationship of headship is just when there's a stalemate. When you can't decide. Well, I guess the tie goes to the husband. But Paul's described that, that Husbands and wives are made to live in this relationship of headship and submission in everything. To seek out where can we play this out? And and I, I, I tell you, the more that we look to see what roles has God made me to live in and how does this work out, Lord, the more fulfillment we find in our life. I'm not saying that wives are fulfilled completely by living in this godly role with their husbands. I'm saying that when we live this way in our life, looking for, Lord, how did you make for me to do this? How do I obey you with this? How do I worship you with this? It leads to a fulfilled life. We're to have an ethos of wives welcoming that loving leadership, protection, and provision in our homes. What about the case of unbelieving husbands? If the husbands are head of the wives and Christ is the head of the husbands, what about in the situation where the husband doesn't have a relationship with Christ? 1 Peter talks to that too. He says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, and this is the situation. So that even if some do not obey the word... They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. I love that play on words. Even if they do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. Husbands and wives, when we live in the role that God made us to live in, we'll look at here how we are redeeming marriage by doing this. When we live in the role that God created us to live, it's a testimony to that spouse. It's like a gospel tract to that spouse. A good start with this um, is asking wives, how can I be more helpful? How can I be, how can I more facilitate your leadership in our home? And when a believing wife is asking an unbelieving husband that, that's powerful. And that is a testimony and that's a hard relationship I mean it's a hard spot to live in I know so he tells us wives submit to your husbands as as is fitting to the Lord this means not saying I don't care what you think I should do I'm doing this It means not saying, when you're capable of leading, I'll follow. I mean, Peter just told us, even if your husband is not believing the word, that they might be one without a word by the submissiveness of their wife. This is not this idea of, I don't care what you think, I'm going to do this. Or, or when you're ready to lead or when you're capable of leading, that's when I'll follow you. That's not how Christ and the church function. We actually get the opportunity to redeem marriage by living in the godly roles that God has made for us to live in. And you're thinking, I didn't know it was broken. Just turn on the TV. Any modern sitcom, I mean, it's changed from My Three Sons and leave it to beaver, to modern family and in the middle. And, you know, it's, it's a constant bicker battle, you know, between husband and wife. Wives, we, we're, we're uh, outgunned just the way we're made. You know, I don't, think that, I don't think that's any news to you. But we actually have the opportunity to be redeeming marriage There was a, a family that went down to a, a mall much like, this is a legend story, went down to a mall much like the uh, Keystone Crossing fashion mall, you know, high-end fashion, people walking around with little bags that cost them hundreds of dollars to get. And um, it, was a, it was a family kind of from a closed community, kind of like a Hutterite, Amish, Mennonite-type community. And uh, they, they, this was their first trip to the mall. It was an older man and his wife, and, and they their kind of grown children, and and um, and they kind of they came walking in the mall and and spread out to to look for what they needed. And they, each person was mesmerized by different things going on around them, things that they saw, displays that they saw, things that passed for clothing in their mind, and um. The father, the the older father was mesmerized by these two silver doors. What could these things be in the wall? Until he saw kind of an older woman kind of hobble over to the door, push the button, doors opened up. She walked in, doors closed. Sitting there watching, sees the numbers kind of go up, numbers kind of come down. Doors open up, out walks this beautiful woman. (laughs) High heels, short skirt. Goes walking by and he's sitting there. And his son is standing next to him he says, Go get your mother. (laughs) Well, you know, if the wife had been sitting there, Maybe she would have been hoping that the husband would walk in there and out would come a strapping man, Lexus uh, minivan keychain hanging off of his key ring, hundreds of bags that he was able to afford, cash, and uh, you know, 2.5 children sitting on his shoulders, his broad shoulders able to carry it all. we have this tendency to think when something's wrong with our life it must be you. It must be this person that I married. Maybe if I could change this person then my life would get better. My life would improve. It's a lie. But I want to show you how from the very introduction of sin we began this challenge in relationships between husband and wife and single folks I thank you for following along with us here I said last week it's important for you to be here because you may be the only people that will be friends with me after this but um, this is valuable and I hope that in looking at the relationship of husbands and wives even if you're, even if you're not married one day that you're able to see the beauty of the relationship between Christ and the church. That's what Ephesians tells us, is that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. But at creation, husbands and wives were given roles to live within, and at the fall, those roles were affected. Let me say those roles weren 't affected weren 't affected, but the mindset of husband and wife toward one another in regard to those roles were drastically affected at the fall and let 's just look at this moment when everything changed from perfection and how we were meant to live to sin and a curse on our world and the effect on the relationship between husband and wife. Adam was originally given the responsibility to communicate to Eve the warning about that one thing that they were not allowed to have in the garden, that one tree that they were not to eat from. We have record of Adam being warned of this and Eve not. We can assume from that in the headship that Adam was given over Eve that it was his responsibility to communicate this, to provide for the instruction of his wife along with provision of other things as well. So was part of his headship, his covering over his wife. And it says here that when Adam and Eve were confronted with this temptation, we jump in here in verse 6 of Genesis 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate you know we have this idea that Adam was off skinny dipping somewhere you know he was off somewhere else and shouldn't have let his wife out of his sight or something like that you know Um, but scripture is very clear that Adam was with Eve And that at that moment, Adam failed in his responsibility of being the leader and protector and provider of his wife. I don't know if he would have been provided like, look, Eve, here, this is better, you know, being a provider in that way. But Adam failed at that moment and we see the result of it. And with this sin came a curse on creation. It, sin brought many painful hardships in our world pain, death, insecurities, hardship, broken relationships, challenges to, to production. And marriage was especially affected by the curse. Notice this in Genesis 3:16. when when God is laying out the consequence of their sin, says to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The wife's desire and the husband's rule need to be explained here. By desire, when he says, your desire shall be for your husband, this term here means your desire to conquer shall be aimed at your husband. That the wife will have constantly a desire embedded in her with sin to usurp her husband's authority. A desire to throw that off. A desire to see a reason not to listen. A desire to to be free of it. It can come in the form of nagging, belittling, talking him into a corner, not receiving correction that, that, that the husband is trying to say, listen, I, God is showing me this here. You need to listen. When it says he shall rule over you, There's a there's a double here. One, he will have the responsibility of maintaining his headship, but also in a sinful man he will dominate. It can be physical or verbal intimidation, manipulatively withholding affection. This is a result of the curse. This is a result of sin. But do you see here, Well, let me say, because of sin, it'll be the temptation of the wife to usurp her husband's authority. Because of sin, godly husbands will face a challenge daily in establishing leadership in their home. Wives will always be in danger also of dictatorial husbands. Who think their job is to just dictate rules and see that it happens and, and, and that are not loving their wives. Because of sin, it will always be tough to function biblically. But do you see here the opportunity that we have in following Christ to redeem marriage? This is so much of Christ's work in us is to bring us a little bit closer back to the original relationship that we were created to live with God within. And in seeing the roles that we've been given, it's like we're uncovering something that's been hidden since creation and saying, this is how it was meant to be. I'm to resist wives thinking. I'm to resist this desire to usurp, this desire to dominate my husband. That's a part of the curse. And as God works in me, he's working in me an uncommon submission that brings glory to God. This is why Paul brings us to verse 18 and 19 here. I love this quote from John Piper. When husbands truly love their wives and wives submit to their husbands, we see the sinful distortion of male-female relationship defeated And a return then to what God intended in his creation of man and woman. This is something our children need to see. You know, my parents, if they turned on the TV, they would see somewhat more biblical roles being displayed. Husbands and wives, our kids, grandparents, your grandkids need to see something that is uncommon even more to this day in your relationships with each other. You're redeeming marriage by doing so. The world around us needs to see this happening. Husbands la- wrapping their arms of leadership, protection, and provision around their wives and wives making the intentional choice to go slack in that and rest and receive how do we repent when our marriage relationship is not functioning according to God's rules how do we how do we turn this back first we need to recognize That our problem, if it's husbands not taking the headship or wives not releasing the headship, first we need to realize that our problem is not with our spouse. Our problem is with Christ. Because this is not something that's coming from our spouse, this is a responsibility that comes from Christ. Uh, Recall here the land of idolatry that we're meant to live in or that we're we're bent to live in, we're tempted to live in. When we're walking according to the desires of our desires become, again, simply a way of making life better. When life isn't going well, must be my husband, must be my wife. If only she were different, if only he were different. What can I do to change them? What can I do to improve them? What can I do to take less of my life from where they affect it and maybe I can, if I get greater control over my life, I can improve things. Life is hard. We blame our spouse. We're kicking the vending machine. I put my coins in. You're not giving me what I needed. An example, say, uh, intimacy in marriage. husbands we have a tendency to live in the stronghold of the flesh and much of what we're working out is just the fleshly desires because in this land of idolatry that we're living in wives there's a tendency to live in a stronghold of control I'm angry I have malice And it affects intimacy in marriage. Neither is asking, what does God want from me? What has God called me to? What about in Hebrews 13, husbands, where we're called to leave the marriage bed undefiled by lust? What about in 1 Corinthians 7, where we're told our bodies don't belong to us, our bodies belong to our spouse? If we're not asking, God, what do you call for me? from this we're living in the land of idolatry where we're just using our spouse okay I'll give what I need to give to get what I think I need but it starts with saying lord my marriage is not mine my life is not mine my body is not mine my efforts are not they I want them to be offerings of worship to you in money do you ever find yourself saying well if you can spend money on that I should be able to spend money on this We need to begin with the idea that everything that we have, we've been given it as a stewardship. We're just managers of God's things, God's stuff. What we have is not ours to go plug into the vending machine to, give, to get what we want. What we have is to be offered up to him. Lord, what do you want to do with it? How many of you as, as spouses in marriage relationships look at the money you have and ask what does God want us to do with this? How does he want us to further the kingdom with this? Husbands, do you ever come to your wives and say, I think God wants us to do this with our money. Can you follow me here? But that begins with repenting from our hearts. We, when we live in this land of idolatry we look at these roles and we're tempted to think okay I'll submit to him when I can trust his leadership or okay I'll give her this uncommon love when I start getting some respect if you're hearing that this way you're seeing life as being for the purpose of serving you and you start seeing these roles as just another thing that you can make use of to get what you think you need It starts, folks, as repentance always starts, by saying, Lord, I am serving myself. I am sitting on the throne of my heart and I don't deserve to be there. Will you forgive me? Will you take me off that throne and take the place where you belong? Will you help me to see everything that I have everything that I'm meant to do to be an offering of worship to you, to be for your praise, to be for your glory, to trust you for my provision, to trust you for what I need. We are meant to be offering our actions for our spouse as actions of worship to God. In a sense, to to see them burn up. You know what? To get to the place where it's like, Lord, I don't care what I get from this. I just want to live in this relationship in a way that honors you, that glorifies you. And every moment of the day, we have the opportunity to live in this way. Every moment of the day, we have the opportunity to bring him glory through that other person that we're living with. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up I just want to read to you the lyrics to a song that I just heard this week and I just felt like it it uh, fits so well to this idea of everything that we have is for his glory every opportunity every, every moment can be praised for him it's um, a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman he says you're picking up toys on the living room floor for the 15th time today Matching up socks, sweeping up up lost Cheerios that got away. You put a baby on your hip, color on your lips, and head out the door. While I might know you, I bet I know you wonder sometimes, does it matter at all? Well, let me remind you, it all matters just as long as everything you do, you do to the glory of the one who made you. Because he made you to do every little thing that you do to bring a smile to his face, tell the story of grace with every move that you make and every little thing that you do. Maybe you're that guy with the suit and the tie. Maybe your shirt says your name. You may be hooking up mergers, cooking up burgers, but at the end of the day, little stuff, big stuff, in between stuff, God sees it all the same. While I may not know you, I bet you I know you wonder sometimes. Does it matter at all? Well, let me remind you, it all matters just as long as you do everything you do to the glory of the one who made you. Because he made you to do every little thing you do to bring a smile to his face, tell the story of grace with every move that you make and every little thing that you do. Our marriages are full of millions of opportunities with every little thing to do it for the glory of God. And he's given us a framework in which to do it and He's given us the roles to do it in. The only question is, are we willing to do it all for him?